The Valley Hub Stories podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast has been recorded, Gumbangia Country. We value and respect their continuing connection to and care of country throughout time. Welcome to part two of the Valley Hub Stories election feature podcast. On this episode, we're talking to some of the upper and lower house candidates featured in the election. A couple of things though we'd like you to know first. We reached out to all of the lower house candidates for Oxley to ensure equal representation. So the candidates that you'll hear from today are those who chose to participate in the episode and we sincerely appreciate their time in this busy period. You'll also hear from one upper house candidate in the same context. It's also important for you to know that the candidates or views reflected in this episode do not reflect those of the Valley Hub. And to ensure transparency, this episode has not been sponsored. All candidates have been asked the same questions and their responses are candid. Today, you'll be hearing from Michael Kemp of the Nationals Party, Greg Vigors of the Labor Party, Dominic King from the Greens Party and Colin Grigg from One Nation. For clarity, the other candidates standing in the election at time of recording are Independents Troy Irwin and Joshua Fairhall, Megan Matthew of the Legalised Cannabis Party and Michael O'Neill in the Upper House from the Informed Medical Options Party. For the policies of candidates who did not participate in this episode, you can view their website or social media. This is an interesting episode and we're hopeful that the information we've brought together will help to inform your vote on March 25th. So let's jump in. So Michael, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks Penny. I think, you know, the most important part of me is identify as a country boy. I'm a sixth generation farmer, born and bred on the upper reaches of Maclay. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, holds a lot of sway in how I contribute and how I think and how I live. So, yeah, mostly I'm a farmer and then, you know, I went away and joined the military and really enjoyed the time in the military and then, uh, yeah, left and became a physio. So you were in the army and then you became a physiotherapist. Is that the correct order? Not quite. It's the correct order. Uh, I was in the Army Reserve and then I joined the, the full-time Air Force uh, and did a few tours of duty overseas and then uh, returned to, to become a physio. Okay, so as a physiotherapist, I guess you've had quite exposure to quite a, a cross-section of the community too. Do you think that that's prepared you for your journey to where you are now? Yeah, I, th- I think I think all my life story has prepared me. You know, not only uh, was I, you know, a farmer, but, you know, I, I grew up in the country and then a little bit in the city because my parents were split. Uh, and so that prepared me for different uh, aspects of of life in both the country and the city, and then you know when I left the the military, I, I did become a physio, and that the physio part of it, you know, really broadened my horizon with respect to what people need and how we need to look after our bodies and and our uh, environment around us and and what we put into our bodies. I think all of these experiences have contributed to you know the the total uh, story of of why I'm here. So why are you here now? Yeah, great question. I'm here to represent, you know, our region and I certainly think I'm a really well-placed person to do that. Based on what we were just talking about, I'm a volunteer, so I'm in the RFS and, uh, 
you know, at a brigade level. And then I also do some remote area firefighting. So we go up in a helicopter and get winched down after a lightning strike and prevent the fire from getting any bigger. So that's also a, a challenging uh, scenario. And I think, you know, the, the National Party and what I want to represent is really crucial to be in Parliament to represent the people of the, of the regions, the areas and the, and the rural localities all around Oxley. So, Michael, what are your goals for public service? I've done a lot of uh, representation and public service over, over my lifetime. It's what makes me tick. You know, I get really excited about helping people and I think I don't really bring in a whole heap of actual goals to, uh, of my own personal goals uh, into this uh, possible opportunity. What I do bring is, a, is a, you know, an ability to continually uh, put forward the, the considerations of the people. So I've been travelling the electorate, you know, from dawn to dusk. I've been doing lots and lots of kilometres and listening to people from the from all reaches of the society. And I will bring those, you know, the the what the people are, are saying. You know, at the moment there's significant issues with cost of living pressures. You know, people are wondering how they're going to pay their mortgage. You know, they're they're concerned about, um, you know, getting access to the doctors and and, and our healthcare system specialists. You know, they're con- really concerned about the cost of uh, fuel in this valley. You know, the, the 20 to 30 cents extra per litre is a real impost on, on you know, our mums and dads. And we're really concerned about how we leave our, our environment, you know, for our, our children. And, and I guess the, the follow-on from our children is obviously the education system. So you've kind of touched on this now. So would you say that these are your key deliverables? When you say key deliverables, I don't, you know, I, I've just indicated that I'm not really keen to bring my influence in other than that I will be a strong representative for what the people want. So when we're talking about key deliverables, I think it's a nice one to, to have a look at what we have done as the National Party uh, over our representation recently. And, you know, we've brought in uh, the pothole fund where we helped local councils to, to fix potholes. And then the Nationals also uh, have recently put uh, $500 million into local government's bank accounts in the last month. And of that, in the Nambucca Valley, they got $1.3 million to either fix potholes or make the road better if there's a few parts of heavy patching within. You know, we've got the regional seniors travel card. We've got the uh, regional apprentice and student university student travel card. And these are all deliverables that are actually making a difference to the hip pocket of our region. You've touched on um, not wanting to be a political influence as such, but more of a conduit for uh, for hearing the community. Do you feel that this is one of the key things that separates you from other candidates? Yeah, I think I'd like to be a political influence uh, in the way that I stand up and do represent the community. I think you know there's a, a little bit of a nuance to the wording there, but that's really important to me that I do. And what does separate me from the other candidates is exactly that. You know, I'm able to bring my experience as a, a farmer, as a healthcare professional, as a businessman. So when I first started my business, uh, it was just me and I've learned over the time to build up and how to manage money to make sure that we're, we're dealing with the needs of, of the community and I've built that business to be up to 20 staff. I applaud anyone that stands up and uh, is willing to put themselves forward to represent but I believe that I have, you know, the the best interest for uh, the local environment, the the local businesses, you know, the local population. 
we all want to leave Oxley with the best possible environment for our children and their children. So, Michael, tell me some tangible ways that you're going to do this. (laughs) Yeah, well, Penny, I think, you know, it's really difficult to say how tangible it's going to be before you actually get to to sit in Parliament. Mm -hmm. Now, the truth is that not one of the candidates here have sat in Parliament before. I have, you know, a fair bit of experience with dealing with government uh, institutions and at a higher level. Um, I think one of the best ways that I can explain, you know, how I will sit and and importantly uh, represent our community is the Crescent Head Dog Walkers and Horse Riders uh, episode uh, over the last couple of weeks. So these community groups have got together. They've got a clear and concise uh, need uh, where national parks have uh, threatened to prevent them from having access to the beaches uh, in the Maclay region, uh, as Crescent Head is surrounded by national park, and uh, you know these groups have lobbied the government and uh, and all you know the candidates in the area, and I was able to sit down and meet with them and listen to them, and and obviously it made sense. So I made some representations as a constituent to. Uh, the Deputy Premier and uh, the, the Ministers uh, involved and uh, it was really nice to, to be able to stand up for common sense uh, and, you know, the response that we got back from the Ministers were that uh, we have a, a now have a two-year moratorium where the dog walkers and the horse riders have access to the beach for two years and uh, with an agreement that Council will uh, find an alternate uh, route of access to the beach. So that's an example, I guess, as well of... of that in, a result that that engagement with the community um, has led to, Michael. So tell me what your plan is in terms of hearing and responding or communicating with constituents. Yeah, Penny, that's probably the biggest uh, question in an electorate as big as this. So what I've done is I've actually taken six months off my business and um, unfortunately redrawing on my mortgage and uh, my wife and family uh, are supportive and, and uh, they've asked me to go for it um you know representation for the community makes me tick so i think um you know taking that time off enables me to get to every corner of the you know of the electorate and i've i'm traveling between you know 13 1400 kilometers up to about 17 or 1800 kilometers per week okay. um I'm, i've been out to dorigo uh Bellinger, and Yurunga, milestone i've been all the way down to combine and warhope rollins plains and every little town in between and you know, I'm 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 really uh, loving it and enjoying it, and I think that putting my best foot forward is really important to me. So that you know, I've given my heart, I've given my all to be able to have the opportunity to represent Oxley. Greg, tell me a little about you. Well, hi, Penny. Uh, well, I'm a long-term resident of the area. I've lived up this way for 32 years, born in Sydney, but came up here via Papua New Guinea. So um, yeah, sort of know the area quite well. I've got two daughters who both work in the health system. One's a midwife, one's uh, an occupational therapy in mental health, and I work in the health system now. But previously, I have been sort of semi-retired but went back because I figured I need something to keep keep going. And um, I have worked um, in the disability support area, working for organisations like Northcott and for um, you know, and Care Burnside, as well as for Commonwealth Rehab. And I've also uh, worked across the uh, Services Australia area uh, with uh, Medicare, uh, Centrelink and um, and child support. 
in that time as well, I was very senior in the union movement. I was a union delegate and a uh, section councillor and a governing councillor for the Commonwealth Public Sector Union. So that involved protecting people's rights, um, helping people in the workplace, uh, making sure people were treated respectfully, that the policies that supported various things, be it uh, domestic violence policy, the Indigenous rights policy, the part-time work policy, all of those things were actually put into place. I've also done a lot of advocacy work for disadvantaged people, particularly people with disabilities and their families in the community. Long-term surf lifesaver, more years than I care to remember. I'm still actively involved um, in surf lifesaving, a child captain. And I've also done things like my wife and I, my wife in particular was the uh, president of the Bellinger Valley Basketball Club. I was involved in uh, in the coaching and various other sides of that as well. President of Nippers in the, the local surf club. And at the moment, I'm an operating room assistant at Coffs Harbour. I, I work casually in the Coffs Harbour Hospital in the major hospital in the area. And that also gives me a pretty good first-hand view on what's actually happening in the health system. So I suppose in a nutshell, that's pretty much me. So, Greg, tell me how you've gone from there to where you are now running as a candidate. Well, I was, I have been heavily involved with the, the Labor Party, the Labor Party movement with the unions. I believe in what they stand for. I believe that the Labor Party is a... Um, a party that's aware of its of our social responsibilities, and I believe that they put forward something. That, well, my belief is that we want to live in a society where we support people, help them to contribute. You know, people sometimes people need an extra helping hand. Sometimes we, uh, you know, we need to actually reach out when things have gone wrong for people. I think the Labor Party is really aware of that type of thing, and I think they're also aware of the equality that there needs to be equality across all areas, be it. Yeah, LBGTQI plus areas, be it with Indigenous people, women, making sure children and uh, uh, just because they come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds receive the, you know, receive the education and the health services that they need. So internally within the Labor movement, I was involved in a few different elections for like for some of the senior roles I was in. I kept very much in contact with some of the people I, I worked with, particularly in the Commonwealth Public Sector Union, and they said um, they had a really good candidate for this area, but unfortunately she had a few, um, she had some family stuff happening, and which meant that she had to concentrate more on her family. And so they said, would I be willing to do it? And um, I said, I would be, uh, I put my hand up and said, I'd be willing to do it. Much to my elder daughter's chagrin, I must say, she said, dad, you're, going to, you're not going to embarrass me, are you? And I said, well, yeah. I'll do my very best not to. What if, if I embarrass anybody, it's going to be me. So, <laughs> so that's, I suppose, how I got there. Yeah. So Greg, um, I feel like you've touched on this a little, but can you tell me a little bit more about why you're affiliated with the Labor Party? I believe that we should have an equal and equitable society. Yeah. Um, I think if you live in a regional area, it's probably pretty easy to understand the difference between equality and, and equity. Yeah, we're, we're all equal as far as we're all entitled to different services and what we can't, you know, and um, you know, be it health or education, all of those types of things. But particularly in regional areas, because of where we are, because of the money spent, it's not equitable all the time. We're not actually able to access those services we're not able to access them at the at the level that we we want to so that was one of the big things about for me I, the labor party i think is a social justice party that believes in equality and uh, equitable 
distribution of resources and also also helping people achieve what they want to achieve, helping them contribute to society. I've seen what's happened in the health system. I've seen what's happened in the education system over the last several years. I believe that under the current government, which has been in power for 12 years, we've gone backwards. I know we've gone backwards in health. I know we've gone backwards in education. And I think that the Labor Party's saying, well, we'll do something about it. To me, it's not enough to actually just understand what the problems are. Uh, I, I'm sure the Conservative government understands what the problems are. Uh, uh, yeah, I know they're in, yeah, I know they do. But the thing is, you've actually got to do stuff about it. And I think we've got to a stage with this government where they've said, yeah, we know there's a problem, but uh, yeah, what can we do about it? Yeah, And I think that at least we're coming in and saying, well, look, we want to start fresh. We want to change things now. We want to increase increase pay of the some of our essential or of our essential workers, our teachers, our nurses, so that we attract the right ones and we actually the right people and we keep the right people. And also because you know we need to support people who are doing those very, very difficult roles, be it in teaching, be it in nursing, be it in police or as I say, uh, other areas. I also think that the Labor Party in itself, we look at the whole of society. Uh, um, we yeah, they're my personal view is that some people are too easily left behind in our society. And I think that as the Labor Party, the policies that we have are trying to actually address that. I'm sure you're aware there's a grow, it's across the world really, but there's a growing inequality between the haves and the haves not, have nots, the rich and the poor, the people that have access to great services and those that don't. We need to actually, the Labor Party is committed to actually um, addressing that. And in what I've done previously, I've tried as much as I can to actually you know, address that and be an advocate for more vulnerable people in the community, in the workplace. And that's what draws me to the Labor Party because I think that say, they, they believe that as a whole of a society, we need to be inclusive and we need to support everybody in society to actually you know, to reach the goals that they want to reach, to support their family, to have children that are educated properly, to have affordable housing, to have health care that they don't have to travel hundreds of miles to actually access. So to actually have an, you know, to have uh, an environment that's going to be left for our children, our grandchildren. And I, I know people say, oh, that's, yeah, people say that that's a trite thing, but I've got a 10-month-old grandson. And yeah, uh, I want to, when I take him to the beach, or when I take him to uh, out into the uh, into the bush or up to Dorigo you know, Plateau, or, you know, it's to see those things. I mean, he just loves that being outside. Being outside, I want to make sure that he's going to grow up with those things, and I want to make sure that his kids are going to grow up with those things. And so, I'm committed to making sure that we support not only our community, but we support the actual environment so that we can actually still live the way we want to live and enjoy the lifestyle that we like to enjoy. Um, have I rambled a bit? Does that answer that question? No, that's good. Uh, so, Greg, from what I'm hearing, you've sort of got three main focus areas. So that's inclusivity, advocacy and action. Is there anything you'd like to add to that in terms of your goals for public service? Well, I would like to see the. I'd like to see pay increase for public servants. Uh, I think, you know, we can't expect people to make sacrifices financially when every day at work they're making sacrifices and doing and going through very stressful things. 
you know, we, we need to support our people to be, you know, to actually, to be able to stay in those areas. I, I'm not sure if you've seen it or not, but recently there's been an ad on TV from the Victorian government advertising for nurses to come down to, come down to Victoria because there are uh, proper uh, nurse-to-patient ratios and midwife-to-patient ratios, and they have a better, more protected system. That's pretty. That's pretty frightening to think that yeah, that the state just down the road is actually saying, "Come down here because we'll treat you in a better, we'll treat you better than you're being treated in New South Wales." Mm-hmm. I think we need to increase the staff numbers that we have. I know working in a hospital, and I work in a, the operating theatres in a hospital, uh, that sometimes well, we have 10 operating theatres, but we don't have the staff to operate all 10 theatres. I know my daughter, who's a midwife, even with things such as their patient to uh, midwife ratios, if she's given four patients, basically they say, okay, there's four patients to look after, but it's actually eight because they don't include the babies as patients. Mm-hmm. So, like, and, and, that's a bit of a cynical trick, I've got to say. You know, I, I just think that um, anybody who's had anything to do with the childbirth side of uh, side of life, and that's pretty much most of us, I think, at some stage or another. <laughs> so, um, I think that we realise that you know the, things like that just breed an environment where things can go wrong. We want to actually support our nurses and midwives to to do the best job they can. We want to make sure people are healthy and getting the right service in the service delivery in our in our hospitals and medical centres. With teachers, we want to, those teachers that are on just being employed casually, we want to turn them into permanent positions so they have some tenure of employment. And we want, as I say, we, we really want to make sure we keep keep those good people. I, I've got a friend of mine who's a, a principal of a, a local school. He actually taught my daughters quite a bit in primary school some years ago. Um, and um, he's said to me that, um, yeah, he's, this is it for him. He, he, he just can't do it anymore. And he said that they've worked out that if we keep going the way we're going with our teachers, that by the year 2030, we'll have 15,000 less teaching staff than we actually need. So mm. what we need to do is address those things by keeping people, by employing more people. The other thing we need to do is employ those ancillary staff so that be it nurses or be it teachers, they get to spend time with face-to-face with the people they're teaching or they're looking after. There's too much focus on doing the admin side of things. That's not what we employ teachers to do. That's not what we employ nurses and midwives to do. It's not what we employ doctors to do. We employ them to actually be there in the front line. We need to change uh, the way we look at things and say, okay, we're going to actually provide them with the backup they need so they can be providing those services on them, yeah, on them more full-time basis. Mm-hmm. Look, other things I'm really saying, I'm very keen about the environment. I think that, and I'm very keen about renewable renewable energy. I, um, I've i got solar panels and I've got a, a, a battery, a storage battery at my place. To, for me, that was a philosophical decision. And that is that we need to be doing everything we can so that we're not creating more greenhouse gases we're not further damaging our environment and also that we're actually making things cheaper things such as electricity for for people so things like community batteries more um, emphasis on creating electricity through solar panels and storing it those types of things are i think are, are very very important as well look some of the other things that I, I know when i talk to people in the area and it's there's a wide range of issues that they have, but and, and I'm sure you know that. But one of the things that comes up a lot is GPs. 
in regional areas, the access to GPs is getting it's getting harder and harder. Yeah, you know, it's getting harder and harder to see your local GP. And I know speaking, I was just yesterday I was speaking to people in um Yuranga. On Friday, I was speaking to people down in Warhope and yeah, access to GPs, access to medical services. Yeah, yeah, we need to be doing something. And it's not an easy problem. Okay. There's no magic wand. I'm not saying that there's a magic wand to this, but we need to be doing something to actually improve the access, to encourage people to be actually working in. Uh, to young GPs to be working in these areas. And that's a long-term thing that we have to, for, to be mentoring GPs, to be bringing them into the community, to be having them there to show that they this is a lifestyle that they want and that they can actually have, they can do what they want to do. They can actually provide those services to the community and still have um, yeah, a great lifestyle in our regional areas. So, Greg, I feel like you've you've covered this, but just to to get your take on it, what do you feel separates you from the other candidates running in the election? Well, um, I suppose you could say I've got a lot of life experience, <laughs> so, but um, but also I, I think for me, I don't believe that there's I'm not a one part or a one policy person. I think everything's connected. I think our environment's connected to our economy. Our economy is connected to what we can do in our health system. Our health systems, in fact, uh, community uh, is uh, connected to, yeah, the quality of life that we have, the environment, and all of those things are connected to the economy, which is in turn connected to yeah, our um, cost of living issues. So I think I'm aware of all of those things, but I think. Also, I'm not a person who's just going to stand by and let those things happen. I say my my a lot of my life has been involved in advocacy and doing things, and sometimes that's difficult. I mean, sometimes you've got to stand up there and say, "This is what I believe in." Okay, and I, and I'm going to be happy to do that, more than happy to do that um, for the people in Oxley. I think the other thing with me is that it's not more of the same. We've had the same for twelve years. We need to change. It's a tired government that is more interested in winning the election than actually providing services and providing the to the needs of people in, in New South Wales. The other thing, and look, we have a lot in common with some of the parties like um the, you know, the Greens, we get on very well with the Greens. But at the end of the day, it's only if you're in government that you can actually make changes. And that's one of the big things I think that I want people to understand that we will. And I'm very keen on working with all, you know, with other parties. I think we have to do that because that's what democracy is about. But really to make those changes that we want to make to start getting us back on the right track again, you can only do that if you're in government. And so I think that that makes, that makes me different to some of our other candidates who, as I say, they're all, I'm sure they all understand uh, uh, quite a few of the issues, some more than others, I'd have to say. Uh, but, um, but yeah, that's, that what sets, that's what sets me apart. Hmm. So, Greg, how do you turn advocacy into action? What are the two uh, ways that you do that? That, that's a that's a tough question. Do I have to answer that one? <laughs> <laughs> the million-dollar question. Um, the million essentially, dollar. as candidates, you hear from the community around, you know, the important issues and, and you know, this the line of what you hope to achieve. But I guess we're all looking for the tangible ways that you can do that. And so you talked a lot about advocacy and I just I wonder how that translates into action. Well, in again, and I think my background, particularly in the in the union movement, 
and with the work I've done in the disability area, that shows that there's always brick walls there, okay, no matter what you do, there's always brick walls, but you've got to, sometimes you've got to just keep running up those brick walls until you start breaking them down piece by piece. And there are no magic wands. I'm, I've been doing this for a long time in different ways, and there are no magic wands, and things don't necessarily happen overnight, but the thing is you've got to push and push and push to actually start make thing, making things happen. And I'll be honest with you, I, I'm a Labor, Labor Party person. I believe in the Labor Party, but I'm not going to tow the. I'm just not going to tow the line if I, yeah, if I think that there's something for my community or if there's something that I say. No, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I, uh, and I think that's a really important thing to me. That's an important thing. You know, that you've got to be true to yourself. Yeah, if you're not true to yourself, people soon find that out. <laughs> and so I think talking to the communities when I go out and speak to communities, speak to people in the communities, I can just parrot Labor Party policies. You know, I, I can do that. But what I'm interested in is what they actually have to say and then i can go back and say okay well i'm a member of this government yeah, this is what we're yeah this is what we're elected on this is what the people in that community said the people in yuranga said they need more gps the people in um crescent head say said they're being swamped by um overdevelopment southwest rocks is uh, is the same you know their infrastructure needs updating i'm not just going to sit down and say oh well yeah that's too hard we've got to start working and agitating within the government and the only way that i can get those things done is by agitating within the government so probably two things that i would say about myself one is that i stand up for what i believe in yeah even when it's sometimes it's a bit difficult i stand up for what i believe in and the other thing is i'm up for a fight <laughs> you know and i think that you know if you're elected as a local member you should be a local member and you should be agitating for your local community all the time mm -hmm. and even though there are a lot of similar issues up and down the coast there are a lot of things that are different up and down the coast as well so each community you need to be in touch with each community you need to be open to what they have to say and to me that's what being a local member is about being open to what you have to say and then when uh, when i'm open to what they have to say and i know their issues and i know what affects them not what i think affects them but what they think affects them then i can go and represent them properly in in government that's a nice segue greg because oxley is quite a large geographical area and obviously this has been posted to all the candidates too you know it, it would be quite a challenge to continue if if elected continue hearing from each individual community about the needs and i'm wondering sort of what the tangible ways you intend to do that well it's a couple of different ways uh, and look i know it's in campaigning so people will say oh that's campaigning that's different but uh, i've certainly made an, an effort to get down to places like Warhope, etc meet people there i was down there on friday i'll be down there again next week you know to go to to Kempsey to go to Bellingen to go to Dorigo it's too easy just to sit in one area in an electorate and say oh okay my electorate office is in Kempsey and so I'll wait for people to come to me I think you've got to be out there talking to people and I think also the other thing is that we have particularly in the Labor Party we we have very active people in the local in the local areas and um I'm on a um a WhatsApp forum, for example, for the local local area, it's very active. I sometimes think I'm going to go to bed and switch that off because I can't fit any more in my head at the moment, you know, for today. But um, I think it's 
having those people on the ground who can then also represent me and come back to me and say, look, we need you to speak to these people, which is what's happening with me at the moment. I've got the people in the different areas because I can't be in every area all the time. Mm. I've got people up and down the, the area and they're saying, Greg, can you do this? Can you go and speak to these people? Greg, can you speak to that? Can you? I spent this morning, the first hour this morning, replying to a, a an email from uh, a doctor from Kempsey who's retiring about, um, about all the health issues, et cetera, in the area, a lot of which obviously I'm aware of, but it's good that people reach out and say, this is what the, you know, the some of the things. And he brought up some things that I wasn't Probably not so much aware of. I was aware that the hydrotherapy is a problem uh, for people in Kempsey that I think the pool's pool's been closed, I think, in that area. And he was saying MRIs, uh, MRIs, people have to travel to get yeah MRIs done to Port Macquarie. Now, often people who are in that position are either in a vulnerable state, be it financially or, or health-wise. And look, I've got two, my parents are both alive, they're 91. I wouldn't like them to have to be travelling 40 or 50 Ks just to get their health issue, yeah, so, uh, some um, form of treatment, health treatment. So it's taking that feedback up and down the coast, having people in having people in the area who know the local area and then can come back to me and say, okay, we think that this is a real issue that you need to be talking to these people about. And that's why I'm doing things like going down to the Meet the Candidates um Forum down at, um, let's just say, Scott's Head and um, Crescent Head and uh, obviously out of Bellingen and places like that because you only know what the issues are if you go down and talk to the people or if you have people on the ground who are willing to actually feed back to you. And it's really important. It's not just about sitting in your office. It's not just about sitting in your yeah, in your parliamentary office in, in Sydney. It's about being a local member, being out there with the, with the community. Dominic, thanks for talking to me today. Oh, thanks for um, talking to me, Penny. It's a, it's a great opportunity. Thank you. Can you tell me a little about yourself? Yeah, look, I've been living in the mid-north coast for about in Oxley for about 18 years. I've brought up to my two daughters about 10 kilometres out of Bellingen on the Kalang River. Uh, we came here, obviously, to experience the uh, uh, regional lifestyle, and it's been fantastic. And I think my love of, of nature and the environment has been one of the, the driving forces for, for me staying here, but also running um, as a candidate in this election. Uh, I think we're really, really lucky to live in a place that still has clean rivers and, and such rich biodiversity and, and beautiful beaches, and that's certainly the thing that holds me here. In terms of my work, working life, I left school when I was in year 10 and, and did a, a trade for 13 years, and then when I was Around 30, I went to university and did a Bachelor of Science in Resource Environmental Management and then did a, a, diploma, a graduate diploma of education as a geography teacher and went to Barrowville Central School and taught there for about 10 years as, as a careers advisor, geography teacher, art teacher. I was the only art teacher actually in, in the state that was colourblind, I think. But, you know, one of those, it's one of those schools that was uh, you had to do everything and be everything, and it was fantastic. And actually I, I was instrumental in st starting the Barrowville Community Garden. Uh, and then I, I started to go into local government. I, mm -hmm. I was a, a, a counsel, I've been a councillor and, and, and also a mayor for the last 10 years at the Bellington Shire Council, and that's given me a really great insight into some of the issues around the region. The things I, I, I really love are very similar to everyone else, you know, the beaches, the live music scene. I, I'm a, a mountain biker still. I love to swim. Uh, I'm very interested in sport. I, I played about 236 grade games for Parramatta Rugby Union, so I still I still love my footy. 
and yeah, just love living here. Actually, I, I, I love the vibe of the whole place. You know, the opportunity you can go half an hour from your place and be in some of the most amazing country, not only in Australia, but I'd say um, globally. Dominic, tell me a little bit more about your transition into local government and, and how you've come from there to where you are now. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think I've always been quite political. I think, as I said, I think the starting point for me was the environment. and I was a, a massive David Attenborough fan, fan still am. I, I think, though, there was also that um, social justice part of me as well. I grew up sort of in my early days in, in the western suburbs of Sydney and and did see people doing it tough and sort of thought that wasn't, you know, it wasn't great. It wasn't fair to see some people, you know, not having the opportunities that other people do and and saw that again as a teacher, you know, at Barrowville, seeing those students grow up and not having great opportunities to actually be their best best selves. So, you know, social justice is a really big one for me uh, and particularly looking at the last three years, I don't think we've, uh, well, I'm definitely not seeing this country in such turmoil in terms of the, the numerous crises we are facing around housing and cost of living, the environment, you know, all of those things, the loss of, um, you know, empowerment of local communities and, and the loss of voice in, in communities. And that's sort of why I started on my journey into local government. Dominic, I feel like you've touched on this, your affiliation with your party and why that, your, your motivating factors for why that could be. Mm. But did, did you want to expand on that a bit? Yeah, look, I think I think with the Greens, that was, you know, obviously the environmental part, that sort of is a big fit and people go, oh, the Greens, it's all about the environment, but it's actually a lot more. I mean, our social justice policies are, are fantastic around fairness and, and, and equity and housing. And I think for me, one of the really big things about the Greens is that we don't accept corporate donations. So we certainly don't owe favours to the top end of town. And, and what we're seeing at the moment is you know these big companies and developers and banks and the energy section sector all making record profits while we've got people sleeping in cars. So you know I think that's a really important part of the Greens is that we don't that we don't have to answer to the lobbyists and to all those people that sort of pay um, the other parties you know to get get a seat at the table and we actually stand for the community and we actually stand for what's right in regards to science and the environment. And I think what we're seeing in places like you know, Scott's head, well, I mean, luckily that Scott's head um, pushed back against that development, but I'm sure, you know, the people in Southwest Rocks are really concerned about that and, and all along the coast that this, you know, that developers are getting the right to do pretty well anything they like and we're losing that voice to have a say about what happens in our in our towns and villages. So I think that was, you know, I wanted a seat at the table and I certainly as a mayor have gained that and I'm also on the board of of local government New South Wales and on the New South Wales Water Directorate, which also gives me a, a voice into that as, as a Greens councillor. And I, and that network has also been great for me. You know, we've got councillors nearly right across the state in, in councils and that gives us an idea of what local people want. So I love that grassroots stuff about the Greens and I love that opportunity that we're, that, you know, well, that fact that we're not taking donations from the big end of town. Dominic, I feel that you um, have already mentioned this too, but just going back to your goals for, for public service, I know you mentioned housing previously and, and I guess having adequate housing for the community in the in the long term is a contributing factor to people having capacity to look after the environment and to make those more choices. But would you like to talk about some of the other goals around, um, around policy and, and the things that you're hearing from the community? 
Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think I know, and I did touch a little bit on it. Was I think that loss of uh, of power of communities has been something that I'm hearing right across that government's not listening to to the people anymore around their concerns of overdevelopment and not getting the infrastructure that goes with that. So I know Southwest Rock, you know, so obviously the health is a really big issue, and you know that the lack of of adequate health services, and we've been obviously under a lot of pressure with COVID. But, you know, seeing that we're, we're just allowing um, more and more people to come um, to this region without without the adequate health services that come with that. And I'd say the same in the education sector. I mean, being a teacher myself, there's real concern about, the you know, the loss of teachers and the loss of respect for teachers from the government in terms of pay and, and, and initiatives to ensure that, you know, that they can teach. They can teach a whole range of skills, but also ensure that, those students that are going through get the best chance and at the moment we're not seeing that we're seeing a bit of a crisis within within the education sector as well so I think for me it, it would certainly be talking about if I was talking about my goals it would be actually this pro-development planning system that we have at the moment and, and start to focus on housing because I think you're dead right I think without without that basis of a home Everything else falls away. It's very hard to get a job when you when you haven't got somewhere to shower, and and you know it's very it's very hard to keep your health up if you haven't got somewhere to sleep and somewhere to cook good food and all that sort of stuff. So, I, I think the cost of living crisis, and, and you know that goes right across to things like food. People are struggling to to even you know buy their their weekly shop now, and so I, I think there's numerous stuff stuff that we can work on. But what I would say is that the Greens are certainly pushing for the big end of town to start to pay their way and if they're making record profits and we're all struggling then something's not right uh, we need to change that we need to ensure that we've got super profits taxes and we've got to ensure that you know that we're getting clean and f and free energy to a lot of people i mean it's doable if we took the money out of fossil fuels stopped the donating to fossil fuel industries and started putting money into community batteries and rooftop solar for people who are struggling, then that's going to ease the pressure as well. So I think there's a whole lot of different triggers that we need to, to put in place. And I think Oxley is a fantastic place for us to start that to start that transition. And whilst it's happening now, the Greens would certainly be pushing for that to happen a lot quicker. And like I said, I think what we need to do is we've got to find those funds. I mean, there's, we can't improve our health services and our education and our, and our access to energy and cheap food without, you know, without the dollars that go with that. And the only way we're going to get them is that we're going to start, start to have to ask the big end of town to put their hand in their pocket and pay their way so that we can all enjoy a good standard of living. Dominic, what do you feel are the key areas that separate you from other candidates? Well, look, I think the experience is one. I certainly understand the state laws and, and as people possibly don't know local government sits under the state government so all, they make the laws and then we we enact them at, at local government so i think i think that's a really big thing is having an understanding of what actually happens and why things happen i also would say my track record and you know as a mayor we won uh, the most progressive regional council the blue award of all the regional councils in australia in 2021 the work that we did around transforming the Bellarana nursing home into 40 housing units for single older women, which we know is the demographic that is at most need. And we did that with the private sector 
and with a local community group and then and then with with state and federal government so i think that's a real feather in my cap and also the work that we did around resilience and we did that after the bushfires we certainly went out there and spent that money on helping the community feel safer and we did that with things like going to the halls and, and improving their facilities there for cooking and and clean and washing because we knew that after the bushfires in 2019 that we were very unprepared so we spent that money that we got from the government very wisely uh, and that and we we formed this connection right across um, the Shire, which we need to do absolutely in Oxley, um, so that we all that we're all connected, um, and we won awards around that as well. Our resilience around the pandemic. Bellingen didn't have a a, a COVID testing centre, and we worked with the local health professionals to put that in place. So, you know, things like that, and 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 you know, declaring a climate emergency. I mean, what we have seen in the last five years is unprecedented. The cat, you know, the really, really harsh drought, the catastrophic um, bushfires of 2019, and then the floods. And what I would say to people is, you know, that this is something I've been studying and reading about and researching for the last 25 years. And all the predictions that we were that we were being told 20 years ago when I was sitting in lecture halls are starting to to roll out. And so we need to be better prepared. We need to make sure that. All of us are working together and we, we, we know we can do it. We see it all. every time there's a disaster, we all stand up and come together. We need the support from state government to ensure that that's happening right across the state and, and learn from, from what's happened in the past. So I think they're the things really for me is why I've put my hand up is that, you know, I want to make sure that we're safe, but we're also protecting these amazing assets that we do have and that we all love. I mean, we all love our clean rivers. I mean, they are rare. They're, they're not what everyone has, you know, on this planet. So our amazing beaches, our biodiverse forests, they're things that are so unique and so special that we really need to help to make sure that they're, that they're still available for the next generation and the one after that. So just to narrow that down, Dominic, to, you know, sort of the three key deliverables that I'm hearing is, you know, housing, it's health and the environment. Is that accurate? Yeah, look, and you're right. I would say that it's cost, it's housing slash cost of living, it's community empowerment, um, and it would also be climate change slash environment. You know, things like the Great Koala National Park I see as a win-win for everyone, and I know there's concern uh, in the forestry industry, but we've got to talk about that transition because those job losses are happening anyway. Um, and we could we could re-employ some of those people. So the Greens are talking about a $300 million package to transition those workers into other industries. And I'm not saying there will not be any um, timber used anymore, but I'm saying what we are saying is that what's going on in state forests has got to stop because we know that the science says that Log forests burn faster and quicker and more intense. So we need those intact forests to actually be a buffer zone. And we also need them, you know, to absorb that extra rainfall and all that sort of stuff. So that, they are the three things is community empowerment, the cost of living, I mean, housing, the cost of living and climate change slash the environment. And I guess the next question then, Dominic, is the tangible ways in which you'll do this. You know, how, how can this be achieved? Yeah, and, and, you know, that is the million-dollar um, question, Penny. But, look, I, I think community empowerment can happen really quickly. We've just got to change the planning laws. I mean, at the moment, what happens if there's any development that's over $30 million? It, it, it gets taken away from local government, so it gets taken away from the community and goes to the Joint Regional Planning Panel. And the numbers on that are three state reps and two local reps. I think that needs to be flipped. 
you know, I think local people absolutely need to have a say uh, and, and share their concerns. And, you know, if it's a good development, if it's a, if it's a good development, it's a win for, for everyone, including the community, then it'll get through. But currently, you know, the, the, everything's in, in the, the court of the developers and, and the community just gets a tick. I think with the environment, look, I think the best thing we could do, as I said before, is the Great Koala National Park. That's been costed, it's been independently costed by um, Newcastle University to show that it will be an absolute bonanza in terms of jobs and, and outcomes. Um, and I'd love to see, you know, First Nations people working and managing um, that massive resource. So I think that that would be a step forward. And, we, you know, things like the Greens push towards regenerative agriculture, which, which actually improves country. And we know farmers love the land and what they work on. This gives them an incentive to, you know, do those things that are going to give us better outcomes, sequest more carbon, increase biodiversity, and also ensure that they're, they're viable into the future. Cost of living. I think it's been very clear. I think the top end of town have got to come to the party because it's going to take money. That is one of the things. It's going to take money. So we should, you know, we shouldn't be selling off public-owned assets like the Maxville Hospital site for one point six million dollars. I mean, that's two houses. That's two houses in the current housing thing. And this is Matt. This is a massive complex. So someone's making a real lot of money out of something that should have been kept in public ownership and should have been used for crisis accommodation. So I think the other thing that the Greens are pushing, which I'm a big fan of and I did speak about the community garden, is, you know, this $500 million per annum commitment to urban and peri-urban um, food growing. And, and that's something that has massive benefits for local food systems but also for people's mental health and community connection. So there are a couple of simple ones that there's probably more, but we obviously don't have time to, to go into that. But they're the things that I would say would, would be at the top of my list. And with such a you know large geographical area to cover, how do you plan to hear and communicate with constituents? Yeah, these are great questions, Penny. <laughs> and, you know, um, spending the time travelling around Oxley, it, it is such a big area. And it's very diverse as well. I mean, there's different opinions wherever you go. And I think all, all you can do is is to put yourself out there. I mean, obviously, social media is going to play a role. I think that connection to local government is really strong. And I think, you know, I've, been, I've shown that I've been able to work with councillors from all sides. And that's sort of where I'd be asking some questions too. And we, we, we are so strong in regards to our community groups I heard someone talking at Warhope the other day about a housing strategy that was run from, from the community. I mean, they're the people I'd like to talk to about, you know, why aren't we doing this right across the place? So we've got amazing volunteers, you know, on our beaches and, and um, you know, in the RFS and the SES. I mean, they would be the people that I would be talking to about local conditions. So it's certainly tapping into, I think, those groups that are already there as a starting point. And also just making yourself available. And, you know, I've certainly been do, have done that as a councillor and I'm comfortable with having those conversations with people around the best way forward. And, you know, I absolutely believe that Oxley can thrive and can be some, one of those places that gets it right. Not completely right, but, you know, a step in the right direction because we have, you know, amazing people here already. We have great small business. So I, I'm, you know, very optimistic about the future That'll be very challenging. 
but but I you know I'll certainly put myself out there and I do say to other people that you know that are li- living in the city it's not as easy as standing at the train station in Oxley and handing out stuff you you've got to actually get in and in the car and do some do some miles and um but that's the beauty of the place too you know that we that it is vast it is it is one of the most beautiful places if not the most beautiful place in the world and I've traveled a fair bit that I've ever seen Dominic is there anything else you would like the community to know about you Look, I think I've said I, I think I've said enough. Um, but you know what what I what I would say is you know if, if people want change, they're going to have to make that call in this election. If people are happy with the way things are going, then they vote the same way. We will get we will continue to get the same thing. I, I think we are a point, at a point in history where we absolutely need to change the way that we're doing things. We need to rely on each other a little bit better, but we also need government to start thinking about local solutions. And if that's what you're interested in, if you're interested in empowering community, protecting our um, amazing assets, I would say, you know, get behind my campaign and vote for me on the 25th of March. So, Colin, can you tell me a little about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Penny. I'm uh, I'm not a career politician. I've uh, I've been a believe it or not a pastor for. Uh, many years. Actually, I was trying to count them up earlier today for you. I think it's about 43 years I've been a pastor. And I've recently stepped back from one of those responsibilities uh, and taken a, a little bit different role in the church. I'm now a state coordinator there. But I, I get tired of yelling at the TV set. So my wife kept saying, you need to run in politics. So in 2016, I uh, I ran uh, for local council with Lake Macquarie City Council, and I actually got in, which was a big surprise. And I'm now in my second term on Lake Macquarie Council. Actually, I spoke to you earlier about me being in Lake Macquarie last night, and that's why I was down there for council. But um, yeah, uh, I am uh, married 34 years. I've got four grown children. I've got uh, 10 grandchildren. And um, yeah, love and life, love and life. I, uh, I I think I'm I'm more settled and more happy than I've ever been. But now running for the upper house in the state, and I uh, want to have a crack at that. As I said before, looking at the television stuff, got sick and yelling at the TV. So okay, you got to have a go. I think if you if you're really serious about it, and I'm serious about Australia. I'm serious about. The, the way it's going, I'm concerned for the future of my kids and my grandkids. Uh, I grew up in a very good time in the 60s and it was probably one of the most prosperous decades that we've known. But uh, some might disagree with me, but I think it was a fantastic time. Yeah, not that we need to go back to the 60s, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that we have walked away from, uh, values, morals, things like that, I think are uh, my concern. And uh, what are we inheriting and what are young people inheriting? That's a concern to me. So, yeah, not just running for family but running for, for the state, obviously, and, um, and different things. But I won't preempt you because I've got a lot of things I could say. Yeah. I guess pastoring a church for 40 years would have exposed you to a, quite a cross-section of the community. Do you feel that that's prepared you for where you are now? Yeah, well, I was going to say that. I think that's been great preparation, dealing with people, handling people, yeah, how to talk to people, you know, how to respect people, how to uh, how to just communicate, I think, in, 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 a, in a common sense way, 
you know, I, I think, you know, we can use a lot of fluffy words in pol- in politics and stuff like that, but I think just common language is what we need to, to be using and we need to be serious with people. And I'm tired of lies. We're seeing, you know, things happening even now in politics. I won't mention what they are, but things that are happening are a result of lies we've been told in, in the lead-up to elections and then they turn around and say, oh, you know, we're not going to do that now. And it's like, well, I just think that politicians should be held to account. I think if they're going to make a promise, they better back it up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think people... These guys just say whatever they like to get in and I like to think that that's not me, that I stand behind what I say and that's, that's uh, I know it's one of your questions but that's why I, I'm with One Nation. So tell me, can you tell me a bit more about One Nation broadly? Yeah, well, what I like about One Nation and, and particularly Mark Latham is is that he's a common sense guy. He he shoots from the hip. He there's no There's no bull about him. He just says it like it is, and uh, he cares about education. He cares about electricity prices, and uh, you know, crime and and those sorts of things that people are really concerned about. I mean, penny cost of living is people's biggest concern these days, not climate change. Uh, climate change on on the priority list is down about thirty five, <laughs> and yet we seem to be just on this crazy um, journey down this road where we're seeing um, prices going up, fuel prices, incredible. I filled my car up last night. It's a four-cylinder car. I put $90 worth of petrol in it. (laughs) Yeah, things like that, electricity prices, people are really concerned about. And look, Penny, these things don't just affect those areas. They drive up prices in other areas, you know, at the supermarket. And so inflation's uh, between 7% and 8% right now, and we're we're looking at... um, at those that inflation probably going up more, but wages are static, you know. So we're actually it's a little bit like when you go to the supermarket and you find that you know the packet of Dickies that was two fifty gram suddenly two twenty five gram, and they're all a little bit smaller, but the, the the price has gone up. You know, I think it's we're being ripped off backwards. There's no parity between uh, wages and prices. Yeah. So it would be safe to say then that addressing that would would be a goal. Are there any other sort of, um, I guess, areas that you're focusing on outside of the cost of living? And you mentioned education before, Colin. Yeah, we're big on education. Um, we want to we want to see uh, standards re um, re reinforced. We want to see um, parental rights maintained. We want we want to see teachers that are quality teachers. We want, we want to do performance pay for, for good teachers and we want to get rid of the bad ones. And um, the, the bad ones are driving down uh, New South Wales exam results and we don't want to see that. We want to see uh, education improved. Bring back the basics, reading, writing, arithmetic. You know, a lot of people, I'm amazed these days that spelling is not important to people and yet it's, it's undermining uh, the very thing that we communicate with and so if people can't spell it doesn't sound like it's so important but as we go on it's more and more important we're seeing the the erosion of that even in business letters I find gosh you know there's a spelling mistake in fact Penny <laughs> I laugh because uh, one time my daughter uh, when she was in third grade she's a grown woman now but <laughs> the teachers sent back a spelling test and marked a word wrong and she had re it wrong 
<laughs> so I crossed out hers and spelled it right. I mean, yeah, I just, look, uh, no, no no aspersions on that teacher or teachers. Generally, teachers are great people. And I know there's, I've got lots of friends who are teachers. So, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's great teachers around. It's just uh, what the teachers have to adhere to. That's, that's the problem. And we want to bring it back to the teachers being good teachers, teachers teaching the good things and uh, not so much relying on, you know, gender liquidity and, and critical race theory, which has been taught in schools these days. Let's get back to the basics. Let's educate our population because education is prosperity. And um, I've heard people say, well, we can't prosper forever, you know, but look, yes, we can. We can prosper forever if we just do the right things. And uh, what we're being sold at the moment is this utopia that, just doesn't exist. So, you know, you've got me right where my heart is at the moment. So I want to I want to see that change. And I know it's a it's a big fight, but um, One Nation's taking that on. I agree with every policy that One Nation has. One Nation's had a lot of bashing over the years, especially Pauline Hanson. She's never really said anything that is racist, even though people have just taken that on. But that just goes to show how you throw enough uh, lies and then some of it sticks. She, all she ever wanted was for Australia to maintain its culture. You know, when people come here, just adopt the Australian culture and uh, we'll be fine. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter, you know, what race you are. Just come in and enjoy the prosperity that we have. I feel like you've covered this, Colin, too, but uh, what do you feel is the main thing that separates you from and your party from other parties and other candidates? Well, we're not woke. Um, that's probably it in a word. We are common sense. We are for education. We're for lower. And, and, you know, we have plans to drive down electricity prices. What we're seeing is uh, we're paying, uh, you know, sort of backhander payments towards renewables. And they're saying that renewals, renewables are cheaper. You know, why is China and India building coal-fired power stations if coal is so horrible? And if, if they are, why aren't we coming against them? Australia produces about 1% of the world's pollution. And yet, you know, we seem to be leading the way in this area. Even Americans are not, not suffering like this. Why don't we bring in, we want to bring in a, a strong mix of coal, gas, nuclear and renewables we're not against renewables we just don't want to be left in blackouts i mean you know you know penny um you've got a fridge obviously (laughs) you know what happens when that goes out um we had a blackout down in lake macquarie when i used to live there for three days it was really hard with the young kids keeping that fridge cold (laughs) go to the fridge and stand there with the door open And, uh, you know, stuff started to go off. So I know how quickly these things can be turned around on us. And, uh, you know, we can't just keep believing in that there's fairies down the end of the garden, Penny. We've got to figure out what we're going to do about this. And the Eamon uh, report that came out last week, sorry, AMO report, warned the government that we're going to see blackouts by 2025. Well, Penny, that's not too far away. So these are things that concern us. We are concerned for the future of our country. We are concerned for uh, poverty levels that are going up. Housing is in short supply. Like it's not like we've got to build more houses for the future. We've got to have houses now, like yesterday. People can't get housing. People can't rent houses. 
I've got friends who were rent, looking to rent a house last year and um, they could not find a rental. They had to get an appointment to go and visit a house <laughs> and they had, to, they had to reveal all their finances before they even got a visit. That didn't mean they were getting it. And they were disappointed that fortunately for them, they were able to, to uh, a friend of theirs they ran into in the street, just happened to have a house that was available and they got into that house. But there's lots of people who can't. Like, what are we going to do, Penny? We're going to have tents, you know. Uh, that's, that's where it's going and, and that's what we're worried about. These things are not fairy tales. These things are coming and uh, we can't live in this, in this bubble of fantasy forever. We've got to face reality and look people are going to face that reality what we're trying to do is save people from it and of course when it comes it'll be too late in many ways Mm. it'll be honest and it'll be you know it's going to take time to fix we need to fix it now for the future and certainly the things that you've mentioned are definitely relevant in the Nemaka Valley community Uh, I guess the, the pivotal question is what are the tangible ways in which One Nation are going to address these problems well, that's, that's a very good question, Penny. One Nation is looking in, in this election to hopefully, and I, I'm not going to say we're going to, but take the balance of power in the upper house so that the major parties will, will have to come to us to get things through. And polls are showing pretty strong for us at this time. Now, you know, I know a lot can happen, as they say, in politics in a week. <laughs> so... I'm not counting my chickens before they hatch, but I'm hopeful, Penny. I'm hopeful that we can see that change come. Mm. Just on that topic too, how, you know, with such a, I guess, broad cross-section of constituents to hear from, what are the means in which you hear and communicate with your communities that you, you look after to make sure that you're getting a, a real scope of what's going on for them and being able to adequately address those problems that you've mentioned? Yeah, well, being in the upper house, as you would know, Penny, uh, my electorate is New South Wales and uh, my wife and I are covering many miles at the moment uh, weekly, travelling up and down the coast, travelling inland. We're trying to get every into every part, every electorate, in, in New South Wales. Now, that's probably uh, a little bit beyond us, but we will. It's also getting opportunity to speak, you see. I mean, you can't, you, you, you're not so much allowed to just get on the street corner and spruik these days. But, uh, yeah, but we want to get the message out through social media, through through our fellow uh, members who are running. Mark Latham is a, is a spokesman who who has the most coverage, and if you know him, you know that he speaks common sense. And most people appreciate what he has to say. So if you look at Mark Latham, he's the leader of our party. So really that is that is the communication that's going out. It's going out through Sky News. He's interviewed on radio regularly and on television. Hopefully, Penny, that we're reaching people that way and people, people will, uh, you know, we need a little bit of WD-40 because a lot of people are rusted on to the Liberal Party and the Nats um, and Labor and the Greens. You know, the only difference between really uh, those Liberal and Labor at the moment is is like Coke and Pepsi. There's, there's just, you know, there's a little bit of a flavour difference, but they're both going down the same road. And One Nation is the one that's standing up for the Conservative vote, people who love freedom, people who love prosperity, people who want to have the right to prosper and uh, run and own business, you know, all of those things. It, sh- it should have a right 
you and I should have a right to to prosper if we want to and not if we don't want to. So it's uh, it's up to us and that's what's being undermined at the moment, our rights in those areas. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish? Look, I think I've covered most things, Penny. I, I think, you know, law and order is another big one. I did mention it before. But Rod Roberts, uh, who is the other member of the upper house currently and has another four years to run, he was uh, 20 years a, a detective sergeant uh, and uh, he he is very big on crime and uh, we want to stop the abuse of emergency workers that happens when, for instance, paramedics go to help somebody who's freaking out on ice and we want to bring jail sentences for those people who do this. Our emergency workers are doing a job and it's, a, it's an important job. We don't want them uh, suffering and being beaten up because they're doing their job and trying to save that person. Um, I mean, you know, unfortunately, all this stuff's driving society crazy and uh, people are more and more worried. Look at what's happened in Alice Springs recently. It's been the top of the news. We just need to, to have a civilization, and that means that we are civil to one another. And, uh, and free speech, I think, Penny, is another big one that uh, is undermined. If, you don't, if we, don't, we don't have free speech, I mean, let's, let's be real. We, we can't say whatever we think. We can think lots, but we can't say lots. And free speech is the foundation of a free society. And, uh, you know, if people have different views to us, you know, you might hate one nation. Well, I, I would fight for your right to uh, to not like me, <laughs> you know, because uh, that's freedom. That's freedom. And, and, you know, we're going into an election and fortunately we can still vote for who we want to. But... Um, we can't say whatever we want to, Penny, and uh, and that's something that we're losing in our society. If we don't just beat the drum of uh, the woke left, then we are going to uh, we're going to be in trouble. They'll cancel us. They've already done people uh, cancel people, and they've canceled some pretty high flyers. So uh, these are things that we're very worried about. We're very concerned about, and we want to see stopped. Of course, you don't have to agree with with uh, with anyone's opinion. You can disagree. Let's have a little debate. But let's be friends and shake hands at the end and say, look, I agree to disagree. Thank you for listening to part two of the Valley Hub Stories election feature. For more information on any of the issues contained within this episode, reach out to the candidates featured via the email or socials. We love bringing you content that you're interested in. And this has been no different. So please keep the ideas coming. We love producing fresh podcast episodes for you with issues that you're really passionate about. So if you have a story you'd like to share or know somebody that you think would be great to have on the podcast, please reach out at info at thevalleyhub.com.au or find us on socials at thevalleyhub underscore NV. Next week, we are back to regular programming with guest Vicky Crop talking all things simplifying your life. And believe me, this episode is for everybody. So please stay tuned. You'll find us on your favourite podcast platform. Bye for now. Bye.